let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, from our city's changing local news media landscape, tunnels being dug under the literal landscape, and changes to DC's retail landscape, there's a lot going on in DC right now. CityCast's Priyanka Tilvey and Kayla Cody-Stimmerman are here to break it down with me. Today's Tuesday, January 9th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. Hey, Kayla. Hey, Priyanka. Good morning. Hi. Happy New Year. Happy uh, Priyanka, New Year. Priyanka, what is going on with the Washington Post? Yeah. So, I mean, it's been kind of a rough few months for The Washington Post. Um, Y'all might remember that in October, um, it came out that The Washington Post was offering buyouts to staffers who want to voluntarily leave. The language around it was kind of as if there was a massive budget deficit. And if people didn't take these buyouts, it was likely that there were going to be layoffs. So kind of like take the money and go voluntarily because otherwise we're going to have to fire people kind of thing. Obviously a really sad thing internally for the Washington Post, but also sad for the DC media landscape as this is one of our biggest papers. And the result is actually an even more depressing outcome as far as local coverage goes, because it seems that a lot of the people who took buyouts are from the D.C. metro section. So the metro section has seen huge losses, specifically in terms of columnists. I mean, Cortland Malloy, Amy Joyce, Teresa Vargas, Petula Dvorak, John Kelly, all beloved Washington Post columnists that specifically write about D.C. news and, and analysis, they're reportedly all leaving. Kelly and Malloy are the ones who have publicized the fact that they took buyouts. But the Washington City paper wrote a piece that basically said that all of these others are also leaving. And I don't know, this is this is a really serious hit for for local coverage. What do you all think? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one of my big questions is, is this kind of local coverage just going to be in the dustbins of history? Are they going to replace these people? Or is it just like, we're not going to do that kind of coverage anymore, so get that news elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, from what it sounds like, there there isn't really a plan to replace these columnists. It seems like the paper's local coverage is going to focus on politics, crime, and transportation. And other topics are kind of going to drift off. And then even those, like politics, crime, and transportation are the three big topics that I turn to the Washington Post for. But with these limited, with this limited staffing, I don't know, you know, if they'll be able to cover even those topics to the same extent that they've been doing for the last so many decades. Yeah. I mean, it seems like with this shift, the Post is really moving towards a more like international, like digital forward focus. And I kind of wonder, like, is that intentional? Or is that just because a bunch of people from D.C. chose to leave and they're not replacing them? Is it that in their intention to sort of get out of the D.C. market? 
That's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that, but some of the analysis that I was reading about this did suggest that Bezos, as the owner of the Washington Post, has potentially expressed an interest in having it be more of a national and international paper and that local coverage isn't important, which obviously, I mean, we don't agree with that. Uh, Not even a little bit, not at all. I would argue that local news is possibly the most important as the thing that actually affects your daily life. So I think it's really sad. I mean, obviously, our team, for example, is a pretty bare bones team. We don't have the resources to go out and do individual original reporting on every topic that we like to. And so we rely on Washington Post reporters to kind of come and explain stories to us, do a lot of the digging and then and publicize it with us. And I'm a little anxious for what this means for this year in terms of having an informed populace. It feels like there have been a lot of really big stories in the last few weeks. Um, obviously, crime has been a main topic. We have the whole caps and wizards potentially moving to Alexandria thing. It's an election year. There's been a lot of conversation about par- potentially a recall vote with council member Charles Allen. So, we need, we need people to cover this stuff. I feel like, yeah, D.C. is really lucky in that, like, we actually do have a lot of great local outlets that are free that people can turn to. But I do feel like the Washington Post is sort of, like, the gold standard in terms of, like, really deep digging and investigative reporting that a lot of, like you said, Priyanka, these sort of smaller, no paywall outlets can't always afford to get on immediately, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it does have a national and international focus, but it is also our local hometown paper. And so many of the important stories about that really do end up holding power to account come from local reporters, you know, investigating a local beat. There are so many examples of that. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you, Priyanka. I kind of worry about what this means in terms of having an informed populace in D.C., but also having journalists who can really hold power to account and stay on those stories that might not be on a national radar and really see them through. Because that really is how we hold folks accountable who are in power. And in D.C., that's like the most important thing there is. I mean, compared to other cities around the U.S., like this is where it's happening. You know, it's kind of where the local and national really merge. And if we don't have people looking at that and covering that full time, it's really actually it's it's concerning. For sure. I mean, the rumor is that these buyouts were pretty good. Pretty yeah, good I heard they were like buyouts. two years salary worth. It's, yeah. That's, I'll take exactly. that. <laughs> that, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Y'all, right? there, there is not a job that I can imagine that if somebody was like, I will pay you for two years to not do this job, that I would like, not immediately right, be like, sure, well, great. Right? Y'all no will never offense. see me again. Don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get my coat. <laughs> exactly. So like maybe, hopefully, these journalists who have left can use that extensive funding to do some freelance journalism and continue reporting on these important issues and continue coming on CityCast DC and and not allow for the local coverage to just slip away. And then, I mean, one other thing about this is that the person who was the executive editor for Axios Local, so like the person who made Axios Local a thing, Jamie Stockwell, she has just been hired to oversee local coverage at the Washington Post. So hopefully that also means that they're not totally stepping away from local coverage. And obviously, Jamie did a great job with Axios. We love our Axios DC colleagues. Um, Maybe there is a future for Metro coverage at the Washington Post. Not all is lost. (music) 
It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. So you probably have by now seen this story that is blowing up on TikTok. People are calling it Tunnel Girl. Basically, this woman named Kayla started documenting her project on TikTok back in October of 2022. She has all of these videos on TikTok that feature her essentially building a massive tunnel under her home. They show her welding, stacking cinder blocks, dumping rock, and talking through the engineering challenges that she's encountering while making what she calls an underground tunnel system 22 feet below the northern Virginia surface of her home. Now, I sort of saw the evolution of this story. I saw from people being like, wow, what's going on here? This is sort of interesting to follow. Then the story kind of evolved where people were like, wait, does she know what she's doing? Her TikTok sort of implies that she is an engineer. She has some, like, background. But come to find out, she's not that kind of engineer. She's a software engineer, not the kind of engineer who would know how to dig underground. (laughs) Same thing. (laughs) You guys, you all cannot convince me that she did not play up. I mean, this is my opinion. I believe that she played up her engineer bona fides exactly because people like me would be like, well, she's an engineer. She knows what she's doing. Oh, totally. When I first heard this story, like my thought was like, wow, this is such like a cool girl boss move. Like, look at this woman building out a tunnel in her basement. Like she seems to know what she's doing. I definitely think she played up the engineer thing. And, you know, it, it was like selective to, to leave out the software part. I mean, the videos are wild. Like, I, it still blows my mind that, like, she's, like, building whole elevators to, like, lift up, like, thousands and thousands of pounds of, like, gravel and rock. And, like, there's been fires. Like, she's building out these, like, she's mixing concrete. like, And she's doing it in Herndon. Like, that's not that far from here. And so when I saw this story, I just sort of casually saw it trending and I had, had not clicked in yet. And I was like, oh, She probably lives out in the middle of nowhere. She probably lives in, like, rural Idaho or something. Let her dig her tunnel. Then I was like, wait, no, this is northern Virginia. I think they said that she only lives on, like, 0.22 of an acre of land, which is not some sprawling rural landscape. It's actually, like, just suburban Herndon. Yeah, that's truly wild. You know, what do her neighbors think of this? What do people in the area think of this? Do we know? So we do know a little bit about this. Investigative reporter Ora Bugato, who I actually have worked with before. She's great. But she did a TikTok about how immigration status plays into all of this. Several weeks ago, after I noticed that Kayla had posted a video of one of her neighbors without his consent and that she had made really clear that her neighbors had no idea what was going on, I decided to try and figure out who those neighbors were. So I found out where she lived and I noticed that almost all of her neighbors are Central American migrants or first gen immigrants. 
um, I began contacting them. Uh, most of them are Spanish language speakers and not one, not one knew about this tunnel project. Um, they're really worried about uh, their health and their safety. They talked to me about noise, like tremendous noise, essentially noise pollution and shaking, like just random shaking in the ground that they didn't realize where it was coming from. And several neighbors expressed to me that they were worried about reporting anything because they don't want to get entangled with immigration authorities and they don't want to be deported. So those are some of the stakes for the neighbors here. According to Ora's investigative reporting, that's one of the reasons why this woman has been able to do this for so long without the kind of complaints that you might assume neighbors would make. And it really adds to this idea of like, well, are you putting people who are already kind of a vulnerable population even more at risk with your behavior, digging all these maybe structurally unsound tunnels under where they live? Yeah. Do we know if they're structurally unsound also? Like that that, that was like a main question of mine hearing about this as someone, she's not a structural engineer. On one hand, it's kind of cool that someone who doesn't have a background in that is successfully building out these tunnels. But I guess the question is that we don't know if they're successful or not, do we? I think that's what the investigation is about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it seems like I was rewatching her TikToks before this um, interview. And I think <laughs> she claims that her project is completely under the slab of her house. So she's like looking to get the permits for that and thinks at least publicly facing is saying, you know, it's going to be really easy. It's all right under my house. Like, I don't see any issues with this. But what do you guys think? Like, even if it is just under her house, it can be dangerous, like for her, for her family, for her neighbors. Well, this is why you get permits. Those are not just suggestions or like nice to haves. Those are questions that your neighbors need to have answered for their safety. And like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it does speak to this idea of one of her um, followers on social media was like the spectacle culture that can come with big viral stunts where people get so caught up on the like, wow, what's she doing? That's so cool. Like, let her express herself through the tunnel or whatever that they don't ask, like, is this safe? Is this a good thing to do? And it's a funny story and I, I totally get it, but it is pretty serious because there's a there's a precedent for what can happen when tunnels are unsafe and are not built with permits and not built by people who know what they're doing. In Bethesda, this is kind of a wild story, but back in 2017, this guy Daniel Beckwith owned a house in Bethesda, Maryland. He had this like strange history as a hacker and a felon and a millionaire who had all this inherited wealth. And he decided to build a fallout shelter. He recruited all of these people. He would like do all of this stuff like blindfold them and drive them around in circles to confuse them about where they were <laughs> because he was so paranoid about people knowing where his fallout shelter was in case there was like an emergency and people post-apocalypse. Yeah, this is insane. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he recruited this guy, Askia Kafra, who dug and worked on this tunnel, who said it was claustrophobic and like wasn't a great situation. A fire broke out in 2017 and Askia died. Daniel actually made it out. It's it's crazy. And like, from what I know, they, they never actually determined the exact cause of that fire. And so that also makes it hard to say, like with Kayla's tunnel, like what exactly should she be looking out for? What exactly should she be careful of? I'm sure there's lots of different dangers. And, and she has already said that some fires have broken out and she's figured out ways to stop them. But like, I mean, in this case, Askia was apparently really close to the exit when he died. But 
he ended up dying of carbon monoxide poisoning. They're just like, I can't even overstate how many potential dangers there are with a situation like this. No. Yeah. She is not girl bossing here. Like, this is dangerous. This is dangerous to her. It's dangerous to her neighbors. Like, I was looking at another TikTok that was like, oh, silica, all the stuff that like you when you're digging all the like minerals and whatever that are in the air. That's bad for you. It's bad for the people around you. Like, there are so many reasons why we have systems in place to make sure that you know what you're doing and that you're doing this safely. Even if it looks cool on TikTok, even if you like are rooting for this person, even if it's so cool that she figured out how to do this on her own. We have permit yeah. systems in place permit, for a guys. reason, people. Just get a permit. Don't go digging. Yeah, just get a permit. Just get a permit. If it's really safe and fine, getting a permit should be no big deal, right? It shouldn't be that big of a challenge if she truly does yeah. know what she's doing. Well, I mean, I don't know. Bureaucracy can be just tough for the sake of but it. Like, but this, still, I, I think yeah. she should, obviously, I think she should get the permits. But but yeah, so like as of now, Herndon's issued a stop work order, right? And they're requiring that like a professional structural engineer inspect the site. And we're just waiting to hear what happens next. I'm actually so curious what's going to happen next. Yeah. Like that's, I'm waiting with bated breath. Like I really. Stay tuned. Well, we will do an update when we get more information. But as of right now, there are, there is a pretty huge contingent of people on TikTok who are like, just let her dig. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they are waiting with bated breath as well. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. Speaking of changes to the city's landscape, Kayla, what's going on with Barnes & Noble in Georgetown? I'm thrilled about this, but there's a new Barnes & Noble. (laughs) Well, not new. There used to be Barnes & Noble in Georgetown about 10 years ago, and it's coming back. It's coming to the old, the Nike store, that giant store on M Street. And it's sort of, I guess Barnes & Noble is making a comeback. I had no idea, but they're opening like 30 to 50 new stores around the country. There's a couple of bookstores in Georgetown right now. Bridge Street Booksellers is an independent like bookstore used and new. It's actually excellent. I recommend you go there before you go to Barnes & Noble's, but definitely don't hit up the Amazon books that's on M Street. Please, please, please. There's better options. So yeah, so it's going to be this massive store. It's three floors. It's all glass. There's going to be books, toys, games, gifts. There's going to be that like incredible Barnes & Noble cafe that we know and love. You get your little stupid latte and walk around and browse your little fantasy books or whatever you're into. So yeah, so it's going to be, it's going to be huge. I don't know. Have you guys, did you guys grow up going to Barnes and Noble? Cause that was like my, that was like my safe space as a child. It was just like going through the young adult section at Barnes and Noble. Oh yes. That Barnes, there was a Barnes and Noble in Midlothian, Virginia on Midlothian Turnpike that I spent many an afternoon, many an evening with my friends. Um, 
like splitting one <laughs> coffee and like reading a bunch of magazines and never never exactly, buying a goddamn exactly. thing. What's funny is that being a little bit older, I remember the conversation from when people were like, oh, like it's going to push out the mom and pop local booksellers. And then that happened. And then Amazon happened. And it was like, oh, Amazon has shuttered the right big box book retailers. And now, we're, <laughs> yeah, now we're all like, we're like remembering Barnes and Noble as like, oh, it was so great. Like bring that back. What a time to be alive. I'll just say that. (laughs) I mean, I think it's so exciting because it sort of represents this like third space in D.C. that we're really lacking, especially since sort of downtown is less of a place to go now. There's just really not much to do, especially for free or for on the cheap, and especially in Georgetown. And indoors. Indoors, yeah. So it's really, it's kind of a niche thing that we really, I think, are lacking, and I'm excited to see. Yeah, there are like there are a few third spaces I like, like the National Portrait Gallery, I think is a good option. And then there's like all the new food halls that have been opening up. So like you've got Love Makoto, Bryant Street Market, which I think are good spots to hang out. And like no one's really watching to make sure that you order something. And some of them have good Wi-Fi and stuff as well. But those are few and far between, right? There aren't that many indoor third spaces. And so I think that's part of why people are so excited about this Barnes & Noble. Yeah, third spaces where you don't have to spend a lot of money are key. Like, I feel like at this point, every time you leave your house is $25. Like, yeah. The moment you step out of your house, you got to pay $25, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of food halls as third spaces, we are having our first live show of 2024 at one of these great spaces, the Square downtown D.C. So check it out. Some folks probably already know this because they have bought memberships to support CityCast D.C. So if you had a membership, you would already know about our live show (laughs) at the Square in February 2024. But that is just another great reason why you should become a member of CityCast D.C. to support our work and find out about live shows before anybody else. Yeah, and I'm really excited about this live show. So it's on February 3rd. That's a Saturday. We'll start at noon with like a little meet and greet type thing, food and drink specials. So our entire team will be there, as will Jade Womack from Clockout DC, who's going to be our guest. And then at one o'clock, Bridget and our co-host Mike Schaefer are going to sit down with Jade and talk about like fun things going on in February in DC. And there are a lot. There are a lot of things happening in February in DC. It's going to be great. I can't wait to see you all there. Kayla, Priyanka, thank you so much for being here. This has been so fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, share it with your friend who loved Barnes & Noble. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. 